This draws from a developing project with Chris Schilling, thus the first-person plural at various points in my presentation. The paper argues that Durkheim's sociology contains within it a theory of society and religion as a form of embodied intoxication that's implicit in his writings on collective effervescence. While the body, in general terms, has, after decades of marginalisation, been interrogated by sociology, intoxication has been neglected subject. There have been exceptions. Marx's analysis of religion as a social opiate is the most obvious, while dimensions of intoxication are evident in classical writings on charisma and um, eroticism. Yet this doesn't change the overall situation. Ordinarily seen as an issue of drug addiction, spoilt identity, or a byproduct of mass hysteria, irrational crowd behaviour, or religious fanaticism, intoxication is further marginalised through its depiction in official discourse as a pathological symptom of moral malaise. Similarly, the relationship between the body and intoxication has received inadequate consideration in terms of its implications for social order and rarely features in the interdisciplinary field of body studies. In contrast, Durkheim's writings, particularly those on totemism, the division of labour and suicide, can be understood to reveal the importance of understanding how societies and religions are constituted through the embodied intoxication of their members. Especially in his writings on religion, Durkheim indicates that individual subjects must be excited, enthused or intoxicated sufficiently to inhabit their physical being as a social or religious body. Indeed, he talks of an intense hyper-excitement of physical and mental life, resulting in an outward and inward transformation of the individual that serves to sustain and embolden group life. Before continuing this analysis, it's useful to clarify some issues regarding terminology and the scope of the discussion. First, as already indicated, using the term embodied intoxication enables us to highlight how Durkheim's focus on effervescent assemblies in primitive religion contains within it a relatively neglected interest in collectively induced stimulants for experiences of delirium, excess and altered consciousness. Additionally, this term allows us to outline a distinctive Durkami account of modern forms of toxication and more broadly the social context that have shaped them. Here, while drawing heavily on Durkheim's exploration of intoxication within religion, we can supplement this through a broader engagement with his writings on modernity. This provides us with a means of interrogating how the body is shaped and energised within the more complex conditions of the current era, including localised interactional settings in addition to large ritual occasions. Further to this, the focus on embodied intoxication allows us to build on the implications of Durkheim's intriguing suggestion that ritual participants sometimes employ additional stimulants to reinforce or replicate the delirium occasioned by these assemblies. Durkheim doesn't develop this point, but it raises the possibility that if modern people are deprived of regular effervescent assemblies, they may seek out other intoxicating means of provoking the transformations occasioned by group events, as well as being attracted to new movements promising such experiences. The salience of this point for modern individualised societies is reinforced by Durkheim's argument that the homo duplex constitution of humans combines egoistic desires with the capacity and indeed the need to go beyond ourselves to express and experience something other than ourselves. 
as we develop it then, embodied intoxication engages with the influence of collectivities on these stimulants, but it's also suited to analysing the efforts of individuals, as well as the powers of groups, to search out and provoke hyper-excitement outside traditional religious contexts. This provides us with the terminological means to apply and develop Durkheim's concerns to situations and milieu that developed fully uh, that develops most fully subsequent to his own inquiries. Second, with reference to the scope of the discussion, embodied intoxication signifies our interest in the multiple methods and substances associated with the process whereby people are excited, enthused, inebriated, stimulated and made giddy in a manner that encourages them to transcend the egoistic parameters of their bodies. Intoxication is necessarily embodied. Um, though we write about embodied intoxication to emphasise that this is a visceral phenomenon that occasions transformations in experience as well as in consciousness. <laughs> Conventional uses of intoxication are too confined to consciousness for us to assume this term can be used on its own to signify a corporeal as well as a mindful phenomenon. Additionally, intoxication can affect the embodied individual in various ways and inviting exploration of how this occurs in any given situation. The holistic scope of embodied intoxication can help illuminate some of the central vitalising characteristics of specific, of specific forms of social and religious life. These concerns are already evident in Durkheim's writings, yet can be developed in the context of contemporary societies. The paper progresses as follows. I begin by explicating some central elements of Durkheim's uh, theory, um, and then by examining the direction in which rituals steer these embodied processes in relation to their effects upon the collectivity. Um, the analysis then develops analytically is implicit concern that modernity as stimulated increases in abnormal forms of embodied uh, intoxication, that is, forms that fail to attach individuals securely to the wider societies in which they live, uh, and then by illustrating the utility of this analytical framework by briefly applying it to the recent resurgence of Christian uh, uh, revivalism. Okay, for Durkheim then, effervescent assemblies re-energise the socially shaped embodied beings who participate in them, and through this their attachment to community is reinforced by enabling people to congregate in the face of totemic representations of what they hold to be sacred. Such congregations constitute an exceptionally powerful stimulant, an intoxicating excess that fills the individual to overflowing, as though with a phenomenal oversupply of forces that spill over and spread around the body subject. While this high provokes wild transgressive actions, its destabilising potential is counterbalanced by the symbolic and emotive structuring power of the sacred. The sacred exerts this structuring influence as its totemic expression guides and directs these ritual actions and is marked upon the bodies of participants, processes, processes that help individuals imagine and experience the society of which they are members and the obscure yet intimate relations they have with it. When embodied intoxication occurs successfully, Delirious excess is harnessed to social and religious reproduction and participants are rejuvenated in relation to their uh, collectivity. Further to this, 
Moser's analysis of body techniques recalls Durkheim's emphasis on social facts becoming evident in individuals' feelings, habits and appearances as much as in social institutions. And this mention of feelings introduces a key characteristic of embodied intoxication. For collectivities to exist, it's insufficient for bodies to be marked or shaped with the dispositional potential for normative patterns of mutual recognition and interaction. Individuals additionally have to be motivated and emotionally energised to occupy and develop the social dimensions of these bodies. Durkheim calls this collective intoxication the process leading people to almost instinctively copy the symbols, customs, effective foundations and consciousness of collectivities during the totemic rituals of effervescent assemblies. To be intoxicated for Durkheim is to be open to transcendence of the individual egoistic characteristics of one's physical self. Stimulated by the collective experience of congregating amidst the sacred, participation, sorry, participants are pulled away from ordinary occupations and preoccupations and moved to the point of delirium akin to the religious state. It is through this intoxicating feeling of hyper-excitement that individuals become attached to the collective dimensions of their bodies and motivated to pursue impersonal ends and collective rules of conduct. In exciting individuals about and propelling them to invest in the collective aspects of their embodiment, such experience exceeds the self, sensitising the body to others. This opens embodied subjects to a rush of energy from outside, a sustaining lift resulting in an outwardly oriented confidence that revitalises individuals to immerse themselves energetically within society and religion. Once born, individuals may never escape entirely the influence of social factors, but Durkheim's analysis highlights the importance of recognising that embodied subjects can be characterised by varying degrees of attachment to the collectivities of which they form a part, <clears throat> and of understanding the processes related to the varying degrees of unification or dislocation. In this context, the rituals in which bodily markings and effervescent intoxications occur are effective not simply when they're associated with normative ideals, but because people experience them as an enacted social force. This propulsive charging is associated with a keen awareness of inhabiting a body that is markedly social and that is stronger because it is socially marked. No longer dominated by egoism, the embodied subject feels possessed and regenerated by external power, a possession brought about and represented by the masks, decorations and physical inscriptions that occur within or are refocused upon, the, upon by the ritual assembly. Here, the sacred potential of the body erupts into the surface, evident through decoration, cutting, scarification, tattooing, painting, and other manifestations that affirm the communion of individuals in a shared moral whole. Anime and associated losses of energy increases in melancholy and the fading of the threads attaching individuals to life may follow insufficient involvement in collectivities, but effervescent intoxication with collective life remains necessary for subjects to reach beyond their individual selves in order to become connected to group life. Contemporary theorists such as Deleuze and Guattari utilise various terms, including body without organs, to express the openness of embodied subjects to external linkages. Durkheim not only recognised many years earlier that this can occur, 
but also explored how individuals assume this expansionary existence through an intoxicating inhabiting of the collectively marked body. In focusing, in focusing upon intoxication, moreover, Durkheim anticipated biological and psychological arguments that reinforce the significance he attributes to this process. These hold that intoxication involves neural pathways responsible for the pleasure we derive from social activities, including sex and social interaction, crucial to our evolutionary survival, and mirrors those strong emotions involved in the formation and intimacy of human bonds. Factors suggesting that experiences of intoxication are key to stimulating involvement within collectivities. As has been said, intoxication constitutes a ground form of the human and social condition. A further characteristic of embodied embodied intoxication worth noting, however, is the directionality of the process. Directionality is associated with Weber's comparative interest in the particular expectations and experiences associated with specific religions. Yet it also relates to Durkheim's interests and can be defined here as the trajectory of the collective effects initiated by the ritual marking and hyper-excitement of body subjects. In this context, directionality is akin to the function Parsons ascribes to cultural values in steering people's actions towards social norms, although Durkheim's concern with such a trajectory includes ritual actions and emotions, thus avoiding the overemphasis Parsons places on cognitive symbolism at the expense of embodiment in broader terms. The importance of directionality is evident in Durkheim's account of effervescent assemblies, but can also be illustrated by accounts of status transitions. In the former, Durkheim associates effervescent assemblies with systems of rituals or cults distinguishable into positive and negative types. The former focus on the potentially sacrilegious encounter with what a collectivity holds to be sacred, such as the Christian Eucharist, where God is eaten symbolically or sacramentally, The latter maintains separation between sacred and profane through, amongst other things, taboos. Both can increase the social and religious zest of individuals, whether they proceed via anointings, purifications and blessings, or through fasts, vigils, retreats and silence. Neither affects a simple quantitative increase in stimulation, however, as both mark and prepare embodied subjects to act in certain ways and not others. Participation, sorry, participants are imparted, in other words, with a directionality in terms of how they should act and appear in relation to the sacred priorities of the collectivity. Similarly, the intoxication associated with positive and negative cults is also possessed of directionality. Hyper-excitement occurs in relation to the sacred norms of society or religion, seeking to organise individual body markings and motivations in directions that embolden the collectivity. Dramatic performances stimulate ideals and feelings linking past to present, leaving participants with a strong sense of moral well-being. Touching on ritual in this way highlights Durkheim's recognition that embodied intoxication doesn't simply provoke a feeling of hyper-excitement and the flooding of the body by external forces, but possesses specific cultural directionality. Directionality is steered by ritual actions and symbolism and by the amount and nature of intoxicants consumed. Effervescent assemblies may result in intoxication in and of themselves, 
But Durkheim makes what is for us the essential point that participants seek out and consume additional artificial intoxicants in order to extend and replicate the delirium of sacred assemblies. The processes of body marking and intoxication identified so far in the paper constitute the basics of Durkheim's approach. Durkheim developed this, this framework most clearly in relation to ethnographic materials on totemism, however, and this has raised questions about its relevance to modern societies. Some critics associated Durkheim with a Western anthropology of primitivism that engaged in imperialist depictions of traditional societies as primitive and inferior to the modern. Others felt his work required a postmodern reading which disconnected it from its original empirical grounding. In addressing these doubts, it should be noted that Durkheim was aware of the inadequacies of rigid historical dichotomies, emphasising the diversity of non-European peoples, and studied non-Western cultures as a means of critiquing Western cultural developments, particularly for their individualism, their reduction of humans to homo economicus, and their marginalisation of collective religiosity. He did not, in other words, view his ethnographically grounded work as irrelevant to modernity, uh, but guarded against unwarranted extrapolations of his findings to contrasting historical epochs. Understood in this context, Durkheim's work and embodied intoxications remained relevant to, moder to modernity. Developed as it was in the context of the elementary forms of religious uh, life, however, it does require extending in relation to his other studies, and it's to this that I now turn. Three aspects of Durkheim's broader writings are, I suggest, central to the issue of embodied intoxication in modernity. These involve his recognition of, one, the distinctive ends to which normative forms of embodied intoxication are directed in traditional and modern societies. Two, the growing gap between societal and religious intoxication in modernity. And three, the increase of abnormal forms of bodily intoxication in modernity. Durkheim explored these developments in writings on moral education and nationalism, professional ethics, the division of labour and suicide. The first two developments enable us to explain why modernity is particularly vulnerable to abnormal forms of intoxication, while the third highlights the implications for modernity of dysfunctional quantities and qualities of embodied intoxication. Taken together, they reveal the differentiation of religion into an institutional sphere, the shrinking scope of extra-religious effervescent assemblies, and the rise of body markings and intoxicants undermining of societal solidarity. While embodied intoxication remains associated with certain conventional social assemblies in the modern world, such as nationalistic rituals and sporting spectacles, it also occurs in milieu possessed of highly ambivalent relationships with the norms of rational society. The first additional aspect of Durkheim's work considered here, then, involves his recognition of the distinctive ends to which traditional and modern intoxication have been directed. In studying totemism, Durkheim focused on the energised occupation of socially, religiously marked bodies characteristic of mechanical solidarities. Integration was based on resemblance. The whole took precedence over the individual, and mechanical solidarities were characterised by minimal individuation and a weak division of uh, labour. The precise markings and shapings of bodies within tribes could be differentiated, of course, by sex, age, status... 
uh, but uh, by and large they were, these were all characterised by varieties within an overall um, unity. As modernity attributed increased significance to the individual as the unit of action, albeit an interdependent unit within the social division of labour, intoxications based on the dissolution of interpersonal boundaries became inimical to societal development. <clears throat> For Durkheim, this indicated a move from mechanical towards organic solidarity <clears throat> in which unity is achieved by coordinating individual difference rather than reproducing collective resemblance, a development that reduced opportunities for effervescent assemblies and stigmatised stimulants that undermined individuality. In contrast to the open-body collective self of traditional societies, legitimate intoxication became characterised by limited endorsements of intoxicants supportive of what we could refer to as an energised body, productive self, suited to the economic milieu in which individual performativity has become key. This shift was most visible after a period of liberal experimentation in the 19th century, as states adopted prohibitive approaches towards drugs associated with the dissolution of ego boundaries and the promotion of relaxed sociability. Alcohol was banned from the workplace and for periods from societies, for example, while governments criminalised intoxicants such as marijuana, assessed by authorities and often <coughs> experienced by users as inimical to instrumentalism and possessive individualism. This shift in acceptable forms of intoxication was not, however, unproblematic. In an increasingly segmented society in which intoxication was restricted in the, produ in the productive sphere, yet in some ways ad advocated uh, in others, such as education, as necessary for stimulating passion amongst future citizens and producers, issues related to the coordination of distinctive bodily markings and excitements loomed large. If states sought to limit intoxication within the workplace, how could they ensure individuals were motivated sufficiently to secure commitment without compromising productivity? Would occasional educational ritual celebrations of, natural, of nationalism suffice as focal points that harnessed increasingly differentiated and individualised forms of embodied intoxication? This issue of coordination was made acute by the second element of Durkheim's work considered here, the growing gap between societal and religious intoxication. Within traditional societies, society and religion were synonymous to the extent that Durkheim often used the terms interchangeably. Societies was, society was the religious object that formed the basis upon which embodied individuals were attached to the collectivity. In modernity, however, while similarities between religious and social processes remain, social differentiation concentrates religious intoxication into institutions possessed of limited influence. Religious intoxication uh, is weakened, moreover, by the post-Reformation spread of Protestantism. Durkheim follows Weber here in depicting Protestantism as a faith based upon a spirit of free inquiry and the disorganisation of traditional habits, yet whose relatively few common beliefs and bodily practices fail to forge a temporal bond of union among followers. Alongside the modern focus on the energised body productive self, this situation marginalised religious forms of intoxication. 
For Durkheim, this not only raised the issue of coordinating the distinctive forms, intensities and absences of bodily intoxication across differentiated societies, um, a task he didn't believe uh, was undertaken adequately, but also increased his concern that modernity was vulnerable to a proliferation of abnormal forms of embodied intoxication. This brings me to a third element of Durkheim's work um, uh, pertinent to its contemporary relevance. While Durkheim explicated his approach to society and religion as a form of embodied intoxication with reference to normal forms within, within traditional societies, forms, that is, that strengthen the collectivity, his work suggests abnormal forms could undermine moral cohesion. This is implicit in his discussions of how the hyper-excitement associated with effervescent assemblies could for a time lead to transgression and the overturning of social norms and the injury and even death of participants. It can also be developed from his writings on suicide and the division of labour, where he identifies the problems that follow a dysfunctional relationship between the individual and society. The dislocation that follows inadequate social integration can leave individuals' passions uninformed or over-regulated by collective relations and deprived of sufficient opportunities to be expressed in and moulded through socially authorised occasions. This can result in individuals developing unregulated temperaments and searching for new sensations not tied to the consolidation of the collectivity. As Durkheim's writings on suicide suggest, such outcomes are, are, are potentially damaging not only for social cohesion but for individuals themselves. In clarifying what's involved here, we need to analyse the two variables that underpin Durkheim's assessment of normal forms of embodied intoxication. The quantity and the quality of embodied intoxication were, for Durkheim, crucial in determining whether the marking and effervescent motivating of body subjects would strengthen or undermine collectivities. Durkheim suggested that normal quantities of embodied intoxication actually included periods of apparently excessive hyper-excitation alongside regular experiences of intoxication if group life was to be consolidated. Normal qualities of intoxication, in contrast, concerned the need to utilise rituals and specific intoxicants appropriate to the directional task of attaching individuals to the collectively shaped aspects of their embodied being. Without appropriate direction, Durkheim recognised that the marking and intoxication of bodies can occur in a manner that's abnormal in relation to the reproduction of the collectivity. Given that these variables were key to his arguments about the proliferation of abnormal forms in modernity, I shall now focus on these uh, a little bit more. The quantity <coughs> of embodied intoxication constitutes the first key variable in Durkheim's assessment. And it's important to re-emphasise here the counterintuitive point that normal forms include occasions of seemingly excessive intoxication that consolidate the symbolic order of society despite appearing to threaten it. This is evident in the early analysis of Durkheim's description of the delirium associated with uh, positive rights and indeed his broader discussion of the ambiguity of the sacred. By this, his concern to highlight our religious ceremonies 
can, can stimulate a hyperintoxication so intense that it provokes wild actions, sexual relations and passions that can be satisfied only by violent and extreme acts while still ultimately reinforcing a particular social order. Moss and Bataille provide additional examples of how excessive intoxication can be normal in relation to the consolidation of collectivities. Uh, Moss's analysis of the potlatch, for example, where sacred rituals involving marriages, initiations, seances coexist with orgies, violence and the overturning hierarchies, etc., captures the combination of solemnity and wild celebration characteristic of such occasions. So too does uh, Bataille's use of the primitive feast as a model for the religious embrace of delirious excess, the accursed share which threatens society but nonetheless simultaneously um, uh, underpin it. Um, so here we have examples of uh, apparently excessive forms of uh, effervescent intoxication that nonetheless serve to reinforce social uh, order. That is, what Durkheim classifies uh, as normal in this context are things that actually, in the end, embolden the collectivity. It's the modern aversion, however, to excess that allows him to define those restricted forms of intoxication characteristic of contemporary societies as abnormal. In contrast to a situation where intoxication is so important that individuals become social beings through it, the dominant modern approach to intoxication is characterised by a fear of its threat to social differentiation and individualization. Reflecting the destabilising effects of the delirious excess intoxication can provoke, it's been noted that societies routinely distinguish between legitimate and illegitimate forms and intensities of intoxication. In modernity, not only have religion and society separated, but the dependence of the latter on instrumental rationality <coughs> makes intoxication more potentially destabilising. In marginalising religion, modern society has removed from itself the major means through which potentially destructive emotional energies were actually harnessed and controlled. Those religiously prescribed and proscribed rites and taboos that mediated people's relations with the sacred and profane. Thus, contemporary societies remain dependent on degrees of intoxication to produce the energised body productive self fit for capitalism – but increasingly regulate against the dangers of excessive intoxication, a situation uh, that Durkheim might be regarded as, uh, um, uh, uh, from his point of view, exacerbating the anomic, devitalising effects of an inadequately coordinated division of labour. In this context, modernity for Durkheim, in fact, has entered a dispersed state Life becomes monotonous, slack and humdrum and people lack incentives to maintain or energetically occupy the bodily habits through which they recognise themselves and others as members of a collectivity. The concern for Durkheim is that instead of being physically marked and motivated to inhabit the social elements of their bodily being, Individuals lacking integration of their appetites and desires would experience dis dissatisfaction and the creeping paralysis of despair. Such circumstances result in intoxication becoming dangerously individualistic, unadjusted to social norms, freed from all restraint and having no object other than itself. 
turned inwards, the individual can fall victim to the infinity of desires, fearing there's nothing to which he can attach himself, lost and desperate in a destructive inner search for a referent firm enough to anchor and impart sense to the experience of intoxication. Thus, while intoxication has not been obliterated within modernity, the prescriptive approach adopted by legislatures uh, manifest in the case of intoxicants labelled illegal drugs, but also evident in legislation controlling marches, meetings and worship, raises doubts about the quantities of attachment secured by contemporary bodily stimulation. In Durkheim's terms, the concern is whether the first phase of low-intensity, monotonous, slack and a humdrum life has overwhelmed second phase assemblies in which the frenzied body markings and intoxicating emotions reinvigorate society. This is evident in the weakness of those intoxicants considered legitimate promoters of the modern commitment to productive and possessive individualism. Previously used in mind-altering strengths and ritual situations designed to open individuals to the collectivity, for example, tobacco was introduced into the modern West in mild forms, suited to providing palliative relief from the routines of instrumental life, yet ill-suited to reinforcing the delirium associated with effervescent assemblies. As tobacco became tightly regulated following concerns about its health, etc., caffeinated and other energy drinks have become intoxicants of legitimate choice. Possessed of a history in the West related to the development of commerce, insurance and bourgeois respectability, coffee was consumed ritually in commercial sites associated with honesty, reliability and moderation and helped energise local interactional rights based around business. While alcohol dulled the senses... Coffee was viewed and experienced as increasing mental acuity, thereby promoting better business, and has become the liquid drink drunk by individuals needing to wake up or obtain a boost during work. Energy drinks are also consumed within contemporary sporting subcultures associated with competition and also with collective rights of masculinity within these limited interactional settings. A Durkheimian concern with such intoxication, however, is that its relative weakness and instrumentality fails to connect individuals to overarching moral collectivities. Such intoxication may not only be insufficient to prevent the anomic dislocation of individuals from wider society, but could also leave individuals and collectivities exposed to egoistic forms of intoxication in which desire or escape from the devitalisation of life is pursued as an end in itself, evident in the modern preoccupation with drug addiction. What we have here is a meeting of insufficient intoxication at the level of society and excessive intoxication at the level of the individual. At each level, there's an absence of the collective regulation of intoxication other than that provided by the legislature. Generally, this leaves individuals exposed to socially corrosive intoxication, excessive, excesses of, for example, illicit drug use, or to the temptations of engaging in potentially criminalising taboo-breaking behaviour for its own sake but also to the intoxicating appeal of aberrant religious and neo-religious groupings centred on the centripetal nationalism, anti-Semitism, ethnic revivalism and terrorism. In all these cases, the vacuum of an insufficiently stimulating society provides the context within which individuals engage in practices damaging to themselves and or to an overarching moral order. 
Addictive drug use still involves localised rituals, but also results frequently in ill health, disease and antisocial behaviour, while extreme nationalistic, religious or racist groupings engage in ritual actions that stimulate a virulent excitement associated with the undermining of societal cohesion in broader terms. The quality of embodied intoxication constitutes the second variable in Durkheim's assessment of abnormal forms, moving us on from considerations about the amount of intoxication towards directional issues regarding its culturally corrosive character. While delirious excess in its individuated form, along with the broader insufficiency of modernity's collective engagement with intoxication, can be damaging to collective life, the non-normative, culturally corrosive direction in which intoxication can stimulate embodied subjects is also destructive. I noted previously the importance of positive and negative rights in imparting cultural direction to the inclinations and compulsions associated with intoxicants, but the collective importance of this directionality is clarified by Wallace's experimental work on the effects of peyote on North American Indians and white Americans. As a long-standing, culturally embraced, richly ordered intoxicant in a number of North American tribes, it provoked among Native American Indians stable shifts in mood alongside feelings of religious reverence. The white subjects for whom peyote held no such cultural or religious significance in contrast experienced extreme and volatile shifts of mood ranging from depression and anxiety to euphoria. While former Native American use was directional, directionally normative, the latter risked cultural corrosion. It's not just the cultural ritual framing of intoxication that imparts it with directionality, however, but the specific means or type of intoxicant utilised. Durkheim generally locates intoxicating hyperexcitement in the effervescence stimulated by collective assemblies. It also references the importance of specific intoxicants, including drugs, in attaching individuals to the orientations and norms imprinted on their bodies by uh, society. Indeed, as McKenna suggests, the way of life of an entire culture is often linked to the attitudes and assumptions engendered by the type of intoxicant sanctioned by its members. Um, um, and I think it says a lot about our contemporary society that uh, the intoxicants that we do regard as legitimate are things like coffee, which are focused primarily on keeping us fit to carry on in the workplace rather than something that might have a, uh, a more negative effect on our productivity in the uh, uh, workplace. Um, I won't talk about it here in great um, uh, in any detail, but in the longer version of this paper, we do look at uh, Christian revivalism as an example of a form of collective intoxication which has emerged within contemporary modernity, um, which in many respects embodies uh, aspects of that embodied, toxication, embodied intoxication Durkheim was talking about. Um, that is, <coughs> it's focused on um, um, uh, extreme sensations of being overwhelmed or swept up into experiences of uh, uh, personal transformation and so forth. Uh, there's a very, very strong bodily um, aspect um, uh, to it. But it's also interesting in that, uh, in some respects, it might usefully be regarded in Durkheim's terms as 
a normal form of embodied intoxication, whereas going off and being um, a, a drunkard or a heroin addict was caught obviously qualify as an abnormal in form of intoxication. Um, these forms of charismatic Christianity across the globe are actually associated with the spread of uh, capitalism and more broadly instrumental rationalisation in society. So if you look at um, Africa or, uh, or indeed China, you'll see that the spread of Pentecostal and charismatic forms of Christianity have indeed spread with capitalism. So you might regard it as a normal form of intoxication in the sense that it reinforces the uh, social fabric as a whole of modern capitalist societies. Um, the problem is, however, that this is not really true uh, because these forms of intoxication are very much involved in dragging people out of society, focused on an otherworldly sense of community. And, of course, from that point of view, can be seen as uh, uh, competitors to uh, uh, rational capitalism rather than uh, reinforcing it um, in broader terms. Yeah. So, to sum up, then... Um, in this uh, paper, what we've tried to suggest is that Durkheim's approach to society and religion may be reinterpreted and developed as a theory of the relationship between collectivities and embodied intoxication. Um, try to explicate Durkheim's analysis, an analysis that highlights to sociology the importance of the notion of embodied intoxication. Um, then uh, embarked on explorations of those abnormal forms that threaten the integrity of collectivities through the modern circumscription of intoxication that risks anomie, individuated asocial engagements with delirious excess or aberrant collective encounters with excess that threaten to corrode modern culture. From this, I highlighted the continuing relevance of a Durkheim approach uh, by touching on how, in a more problematic way, it helps us read some of the things going on in the um, in present. Embodiment intoxication have been written about um, as discrete subjects, both inside and outside sociology, yet returning to the writings of Durkheim's makes it possible to appreciate their central importance to society. When examined from outside the sociological tradition, it's too easy to view them simply as, as passing manifestations of consumer culture in the case of the body and as a pathological social problem in the case of intoxication. Viewed from the perspective of Durkheim's enduring contribution, in contrast, we can understand how these phenomena are central to the production and reproduction of collectivities and therefore vital to questions about social fragmentation um, and uh, the evolving shape of modernity in the present. And I'll quit there. Thank you. Thank you very much.